You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Second down and two, the handoff to Penny. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop, going to look. Gets hit, goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Here's your host, Jen Mueller. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. It is a bonus edition today as we get you ready for the NFL Draft. And this is the episode you didn't know you needed, but you have always wanted because it is not just me and John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Today, it is Seattle's own Mina Kimes. At least we are claiming her, John. There's no way we are not going to call her Seattle's own today. Mina, welcome in. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for making some time because John and I talk about the Seahawks every week during the season. We have already <laughs> shared our thoughts on what's happened in the offseason and what we think the Seahawks should do in the draft. But it's going to be good to get some outside perspective besides that John tends to tune me out after a little while. That is not true. I feel mm. like no, I feel like you're just never. being polite for our guest right now, John. Never. I John always... calls calls me a, a traitor and he's I, been doing I think what? he's probably kept that bit up longer than anyone I mean, ever you know since he started doing I went back, I have not tweeted that in a long time and I was not going to bring it up on this podcast one bit wow. you volunteered wow. it. for those who don't know in addition to all the wonderful work Mina does at ESPN and on her podcast she also does pregame <laughs> radio is it radio or is it their tv broadcast it's the, the tv broadcast for the, for the Los Angeles Rams so yes many people on Seahawks Twitter are call her a traitor it's you just, have to spell yeah. it wrong. Yeah, so. you have to spell Otherwise, it wrong. Otherwise, it doesn't. You have to correctly, yeah. or in, intentionally incorrectly spell it. T-R-A-D-E-R. I, I really thought you'd get after it when Bobby Wagner signed with the Rams. No, I feel like I'm Bobby and I are both traitors now. Well, no. Well, Bobby. I think different circumstances there. I don't know that I would call Bobby that. I'm not even going to call you that, Mina. Like, she says let I me, wouldn't let call Bobby that, this. however. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, to be clear, I'm being facetious. Bobby, it, every right to play exactly. the Rams. I'm super happy for him, wishing him nothing but success. Great guy. It is going to be so weird to see him in that uniform, though. Totally. I can't, even like, the pictures. I want to see him. Yes, confusing. I know. I just, I don't know about that uniform on him. Mm. I don't know. Mm. New we'll number, see. you know? I think the number might be part of the problem, too. Yeah. It's throwing me. It is. It is a big problem. Okay. Well, Mina, you've taken us right to a couple of things. As I mentioned, John and I have already broken down what the Seahawks have done in the offseason. I don't think fans need to have their memory refreshed as to some of the big moves there. Before we get to Bobby and what happens with the defense and who shoulders that load, when we think about Russell Wilson being with the Broncos, and now that's a whole lot easier because we have actually seen him participate in camps with, with his new teammates in the new colors, in a Broncos uniform. How much more different do you think the Seahawks offense looks without Russ? Pretty different, <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. a hard question to answer. But in which because way? We, we don't know who's playing quarterback for the Seahawks. Exactly. I mean, right now, obviously, the starting quarterback is Drew Locke. Um, and with him and with offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, I think there will be some differences from uh, the offense with Wilson. Which Honestly, Russell Wilson, the way he plays the kind of offense that um, is that necessitates is very unique. So whatever player comes in, I would say maybe if there's like a if it was like a Malik Willis in the draft, you see some more similarities. But with Locke, you know, we you saw in De in Denver, um, 
emphasis on play action, the deep ball. Um, he can make plays with his feet a little bit. So there'd be some similarities. I, th- I suspect they would probably want to lean in more to what Waldron did with the Rams uh, if Drew Locke was the quarterback. Now, again, I keep saying if because I don't know if he's my quarterback. And if the CX were to... I don't know, actually trade for Baker Mayfield, who said today that it's very casually, oh, it seems like Seattle is the most likely option. Or um, draft a quarterback, you're talking about totally different offenses depending on who's under center or not under center in some of these guys' cases. Now, you obviously, you know, you wear the two hats of ESPN analyst and Seahawks fan, and the trade I know hit you pretty hard when it happened back then. Have you come around at all on maybe, if, has your stance changed at all, or have you, well, you know, walked yourself off the ledge at all since then? Yeah, you know, so I've, I'm of two feelings about this. You know, one, I've tried to kind of, anytime you move on from one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and, you know, guy who defined a franchise, there's going to be backlash and confusion and uncertainty. I have said on my podcast, I've kind of talked you through, I think we talked you through the day of, which is, yeah. if you want to listen to like real-time therapy, I just go listened to my to podcast <laughs> from that day. Oh, God. But, but you know, I, I there's some, there's certainly um, a case to be made for doing it and a, a, and a way to understand Seattle's point of view. I think this was a divorce that was a long time coming based on some of the reporting over the last couple of years. Um, a lot of that clearly initiated by Wilson himself. I mean, anytime you put out the names of teams you're wanting to be traded to, it's pretty hard to abscond responsibility. But I also think, um, you know, he's a, he's a quarterback who has struggled a bit over the last couple of years, obviously very injured, uh, is in his 30s, and is going to make crazy money on his next contract based on where these salaries are going. So I think it's possible that Seattle felt, the front office felt, hey, we've hit our ceiling here. We don't see the quarterback getting better. And if we're going to commit to him at you know $50 million a year, which is, I think, quite realistic, that might not be the best decision, especially given the fact that he might, we can't tell if he wants to stay or he doesn't want to stay or whatever. Um, so there's that side of it. The other side of it, though, John, is like, it's hard for me to evaluate without knowing what their yeah. plan is. And I keep going to that. Like, I, I know it sounds like I sound like a broken record, but like people keep asking me, is Seattle rebuilding? Are they retooling? Are they blowing things up? And I don't have an answer for that because it's still a little bit unclear to me. Yeah, I would say in rebuild is certainly something we have heard players address and coaches address as being a word that is not being said inside the building. And I think that there's a case to be made, and I know that it doesn't look like that from the outside. I think that there's a case to be made that it is not a rebuild. I think you could say retooling. And John and I were talking about this just a a few minutes ago, just kind of in, in preparing for this. What happens if this is more of a bridge year? What happens if this is the year where you are gaining some of those pieces that you need and gaining some valuable experience? Because going back to the playoffs would be a step forward winning 10 games would be a step forward and it would get some of these guys that are new to the roster and whoever gets drafted the experience they need to then go out and really build on it in 2023 right i mean there's a case to be made for that yeah for me the case would be less um getting to the playoffs and more accumulating assets clearing they've cleared a ton of cap space next year by the way you know the wilson trade didn't clear any this year absolutely yeah 2023 looks beautiful and um saying okay next year we're going to attack the quarterback position uh i will say you know that's always a question mark though because there's going to be a lot of teams with their eyes on bryce young cj stroud but you know i i can i I can see that case because like i've spent the last week or so watching draft prospects and watching the quarterbacks in this draft, but then also watching like um, Ohio State and Alabama receivers. And those two quarterbacks are fantastic. I mean, they, they would be 
the number one and two in this class if they were you know actually draftable so i can see the argument for seattle saying hey like you said this is a bridge year um let's start clearing cap let's commit to a few guys that we want to be part of the next you know the next franchise really and then we'll be ready to get a quarterback next year well, and I guess, too, when I look at what, you know, again, however you want to label it, I know they don't want to use the word rebuild, but it, the NFL is different than other sports is you, you know, the turnaround can happen fast. Obviously, you need to find that quarterback. But if you tear it all down, like I think some people think, oh, it's a rebuild, trade everybody, get draft picks and go right. two and 15. If you tear it all down and then you find the right quarterback, that guy's coming into a terrible position. Totally. And, you know, it, if you do, it's not easy. But if you find the right guy and you have some talent around him, you can bounce back and be really good really quickly. But- so I got into a bit of a disagreement with my colleague Dan Orlovsky about this on NFL Live on Monday because um, you and Dan arguing on air never shocker <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> He's always he I swear is obsessed with raising the Seahawks to the ground. He was calling for the Wilson <laughs> trade forever, um, but and I said I don't I think they might do it. I'm not saying I want them to, but uh, we were talking about DK Metcalf because obviously there's a lot of rumors floating around about trade you know proposals from the Jets and this and that. And, you know, he was arguing they should trade him, they're rebuilding, get picks, whatever. And I, and I disagreed with him for a couple of reasons. So, yes, he's going to make a ton of money. We're seeing these wide receiver tra- contracts handed out. But DK Metcalf is 24 years old. Yep. You know, like these other wide receivers that we're talking about, like Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, who are getting crazy money. By the way, their money is often, like in the case of Adams, not as crazy when you actually look at the real contracts. Yeah. Um, you know, they're older than him. And, and like, a, a 24-year-old ex-receiver, homegrown superstar is the kind of player you pay, especially when, as we discussed, they have a lot of cap space. And John, I completely agree with you about if the plan is to set the table for the next quarterback, the worst thing you can do is just totally destroy your offense and have, you know, if he has no one to throw to. So I think with rebuilds, sorry, retools or whatever we want to call it, um, something you see around the NFL is you, you got to have a few core guys and to me, DK Metcalf is, is one of those guys. Now, if we're talking about pick four, it's a, <laughs> a little dicier. But uh, I do, th- I would lean towards keeping him for that reason. Well, and then what are, what are you going to do if you get rid of him? Now you're going to go and try to find the next DK Metcalf in the draft. I mean, what did you just accomplish there? Right? Like, yeah. you have your guy. And I will say this, for Seahawks fans who have been listening to this podcast for a while and who have, who have taken a look at what the Hawks have done on their coaching staff, Here's the name that people are not talking about a lot associated with DK Metcalf is Sanjay Law, who comes back to the Hawks as one of their wide receivers gurus that helped DK make a jump a year ago. Then he left and was coaching in Jacksonville. Yeah. There is reason to believe that there is another leap that we see DK make this year, regardless of who the quarterback is, just because he's at that point in his career where he can refine a little bit more. And I know that there's a question mark around the quarterback. But John and Mina, I also think that it, it will come down to Shane Waldron. And I don't, if you could run this system with Jared Goff, I mean, who's to say you can't run it with Drew Locke? I know that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not nice. But what if, what if it's the system that makes the quarterback instead of the quarterback that makes the system? There are teams in the NFL that have that game plan who mm-hmm. don't have a Russell Wilson, right? They, they, what if that's the case? Very different than what we've seen in Seattle the last few years. John is giving me this look like, are you crazy? <laughs> I can't uh, be that crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, you're, you've landed on something important, which is I, I, I do like the coaches. Stop short of place. calling me crazy, folks. <laughs> well, uh, I, I agree with half of what you said, which is I like the idea of Shane Waldron working with a quarterback who can actually, who will run his system. Um, I'm not 
where you get where you drew luck I, 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 a little bit of a uh, yeah i don't about, know that was a what if but yes there, there are some guys in the draft that i think could yeah. um and and if they were to go that road i think that could be really interesting and while we're on coaching staff I wanted to get your take on what they did on defense. I think some people yeah. have thought Pete Carroll is, you know, set in his way with his cover three and everything's going to be the same forever. And it's his defense, no matter who the coordinator is, but it seems like he's more open this off season to change than we've seen before and brought in, you know, Sean Desai and Carl Scott and handed the keys over to, to Clint Hurt. Just, what have you thought about the yeah. coaching changes? I love the hires. And I would also note, you know, I think, Pete Carroll has actually changed the defense a bit over the years. Yeah. I think from the outside, there's this kind of narrative uh-huh. that it's stuck and it's been the same and it's this old school and they're just trying to do cover three. But uh, that's not really true. Mm-hmm. Especially, I, I would note, over the, the second half or so of last season, you did see some of the evolution that I think is going to continue with these hires. And it's no coincidence that all of the rumors, um, not just about the coaches they did hire, but the coaches that Pete Carroll was interviewing were from that sort of Vic Fangio school, uh, which I think... I suspect is what they're going to do in the past defense um, now. And then of course we know it's going to be three, four and stuff, whether they have the personnel to accomplish it. I think that's an open question and one that will certainly um, come up in the draft. Well, and I, I think that that is what that would be what I hope they address with their first mm. pick in the draft. But with that in mind and the way that defenses have changed and the way that this defense in particular has evolved which person or position group shoulders more of that load without Bobby? Because we've been so used to Bobby, not just yeah. with the number of tackles and the number of plays that he's been in on. He's known that defense backwards and forwards. I mean, he, he's called everything in that defense for the last 10 years. Who do you think takes on more of that? You know, I'd be curious to see if um, Quandre Diggs actually t- takes on more of that kind of uh, – quarterback of the defense role because that's something we've seen around the NFL more and more is safeties wearing the green dot and sort of directing things and I think again with the changing defense um it just makes sense with his intellect experience you know I was thrilled they brought him back because you know earlier I was talking about like okay whether it's a rebuild or retool you have to have guys and he is the definition of a culture setter and my you know interactions with him just hearing from other players it was really important to bring him back. And I think I could see him kind of stepping up into that leadership role. Um, as far as the sort of front seven football side of it, obviously Cody Barton's going to have to take a step up. Um, I'll be curious to see whether Jordan Brooks role changes at all from yeah. that kind of, you know, see ball, get ball kind of. Yeah. And then the defensive line, not the edge rushers, right. but the interior, uh, interior yep. is I think the strength of this unit now. And I loved the additions they made. Um, you know, Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson, bringing him back, such an underrated player. And then, of course, my beloved Puna Ford. So I think if they can be super stout against the run, you know, playing more of that kind of gap and a half style uh, up front, I think that could go a long way towards helping the run defense, which is, of course, something that Bobby really, really held down for years. It, this came up with, it, with Clint Hurt right when he was hired. But for, yeah. for this defensive staff, how much is figuring out how to best use Jamal Adams a priority in your mind? I think it's enormous, um, and I think I suspect that all of the defensive coaches we mentioned who were hired were probably that was the first question they asked. What is your plan for Jamal Adams? Personally, I'll be very curious to see how he fits into that again Fangio style defense because he's a pretty unique player. He's obviously a very unique player, and um, sort of is different. I, you know, I was going back and looking at some of the defenses that all of these guys have worked on, and and he's a sort of a unique 
it, there's not really a precedent for him there. So I think we're going to probably see some innovative usage, um, you know, finding ways to get him around the ball more, but also um, asking him to improve in coverage this year. I think he's obviously an extremely motivated player. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a real comeback season with these new coaches. Well, and I think as so many of the guys have pointed out, you're not in base defense very often. For as much as we talk about what that front looks like and what that means for your coverage on the back end, you're going to be in nickel and dime so much just because of the teams that you're playing, particularly in the division, that I do think that there's a lot of opportunity there for creativity. And I know just from a style of coaching, Clint Hurt is going to be more aggressive in the way he calls a game, which would then open up more opportunities for Jamal Adams just by virtue of the way the game is called, not even where he's positioned to make a few more of those plays. What are we still missing from off-season moves? And this could be either free agent moves or this could be part of what the Seahawks need in a draft. But Mina, what are you (laughs) disappointed they have not gotten done yet? How about if we start there? Well, you know, I think you got to start with quarterback again, but we've kind of talked about this, that it, the quarterback question, I think really is a rep will be a referendum on what, how they view this season. You know what I mean? Like, are, do they really want to draft someone? Um, I saw a mocked the other day where they spent the nine on, I forget if it was Thibodeau or Stingley, one of the blue chip defensive picks, and then using 40 and 41 grabbed Desmond Ritter. I would absolutely love it if they did that. Speaking of quarterbacks who I think can run Shane Waldron's system. But if they don't, if they do, are looking at this as a true bridge year, you know, with through lock, um, the needs are pretty obvious, I think. It's they're kind of glaring offensive tackle and cornerback. Um, I think edge rusher as well. But, you know, right now, I mean, the offense, I don't know what's going on with Dwayne Brown. And I think Brandon Shell's still unsigned. But yeah. uh, ideally, they would bring one of those players back. I, I would love if they were able to bring Brown back. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's a position they address early in the draft uh, instead of defense. Yeah, we were, before we started, we were talking about that with tackle. It's, you know, they've, they've got three guys under contract right now. All guys, you know, rookies last year, two of them undrafted. Yeah. So that's, if you're not re-signing somebody, I think that's a no-brainer in the draft. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but then, but as we were talking about this, and as I go on my bring back Dwayne chant and bandwagon on that one, If you don't, you are putting a lot of pressure on whoever it is that you pick in the draft because you are expecting them to play right away and not just play but contribute right away. And I think that this goes hand in hand with how you view the quarterback in the system, right? If you don't give them somebody up front or if you can't can't help them up front, then how are you ever going to accurately evaluate what your quarterback can do and what the offense can do, right? I mean, there's a whole – this is all interconnected. Totally. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think because of there are sort of the three glaring needs, I guess I said two, but I'll throw edge rusher in there. It really, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if it just comes down to best player available. Yeah. You know, I, if Derek Stingley's there, you take him. I, I on you know, and, and Thibodeau's off the board and maybe the top tackles are like, although I would take Stingley over, honestly, a tackle personally, I think he's that good. I think just he is the kind of player that you can build a defense around um or if Thibodeau is there Thibodeau pardon me like I think it really is gonna let me put it this way the Seahawks would be thrilled if Carolina takes a quarterback I think um I don't expect them to go quarterback with nine but you know I could be shocked but I think if those picks can be used on positions like wide receiver quarterback whatever that the Seahawks don't need I think they would be over the moon because there could be some really, really talented blue chippers available. Now, are you team take the best person at nine, or if there's a few guys you like, do you move back and 
stock up on more picks later on? Um, I think it kind of depends on the trade down. It's not to hedge, but like the trade down opportunity. Yeah. I think you really want a blue chip blue chip guy. So if it was to move down to like, you know, 11 or 12 or something, that's fine. But I don't think, I think given where the Seahawks are with their roster and how important it is to find those, again, fundamental, like core pieces, I would prefer that they pick high this year. Well, and when you talk about an edge rusher, you're getting into that same conversation as a wide receiver, right? You're either going to have to go and pay him money on the open market, or you can get the best available, build the defense around them. And I do think, and some of this is just kind of watching how expectations have aligned with players and where they have been drafted in Seattle over the last few years. I think some of it is managing expectations and what do you expect to get out of that position? You're going to get a lot out of an edge rusher. That's what I would say. Not that you don't need a tackle, but that's why I'm on team edge rusher with number nine. But I keep making my case to John, and he keeps looking at me again I, like I'm a little crazy, I'm Mina. all for edge rushers. That's, oh, we're I'm, bringing him around to our side. I've never not been <laughs> on your side, Jen. I'm always on I, your side. It's just it, it's who's there, right? Yeah, I, 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 exactly. If, yes. if Iki Aquanu's actually there, and you're weighing him against like a Jermaine Johnson, I would take Aquanu. If Derek Stingley's there... A little different. You, you really just like, I think it's just such a rich position. Obviously, once when we have not seen the Seahawks drafted in a yeah. very, very long time, um, that it's just a real opportunity to find a superstar. Yep, I would agree. And the Seahawks have a potential to get, I don't know about a lot of superstars, but a lot of players. Our last yeah. question as we wrap up here, Mina, because it is kind of a running joke around the Seahawks. Eight picks. That is what John Schneider is going into mm. this draft with. Do you think they make all eight picks or do you think they acquire more picks over under on eight picks? I'm going to go under. I know that's not, that's not how this team operates. And I know that it's likely that, you know, in the past we've seen them obviously trade down a ton and, you know, especially out of the early rounds, much to the frustration of fans. But I think, there's a lot of pressure now to find young, real talent, not just make bets, not just say, hey, maybe this fourth round edge rusher will work out or whatever. No, I think they really need to come out of this draft with a couple of the next pillars of the franchise. And to that end, I think it's entirely possible that 40-41, you know, they, they might move up into the end of the first round. I, maybe that's crazy, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if it happens this year. I'm here for crazy. Fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. Change John, it up a little. over under. Over, I'll just disagree with me. <laughs> I think it is. Go, the, that is, I mean, based I on th- precedent, that I makes think sense. They it's go the back, correct bet. I think they go back once in the first round. Not far, but I could see a scenario where there's they've got four guys. They kind of have graded the same at number nine, and they go back mm. to 12 or so. Again, I'm just judging past precedent what they tend to do. I'm just excited for them to draft a player we've heard of, man. Exactly. When was the last time that happened? Not, not the Googling. But, wait, who? Yeah. Who was that? Every year. That's it's like, true. Everyone. The old tradition in the draft room is everyone turns and looks at Rob Rang and goes, uh, who is this guy? <laughs> yes. Well, there should be some names that we recognize coming off the board. When the Seahawks have their pick, whether it's actually pick number nine, whether they trade back, they go in with eight. I'm going to go with the over just because of past precedent. But to Mina's point, I would love to see a little crazy. I would also love to see a little bit more Mina Kimes. Thanks so much for making time for us. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Let's Thanks, get Mina. weird. Come yeah. on, Seahawks. Let's absolutely. Let's get weird. That's the perfect sign-off for this edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. We'll see you next time.